0: Fight back with Libby's Nimer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown.
1: Black people make up about 9% of Toronto's population. But a new report just released by the Ontario Human Rights Commissioner, Rayo Mandana, finds they make up nearly 29% of police use of force cases, 36% of police shootings, more than 61% of police use of force cases that resulted in civilian death, and 70% of police shootings that result in civilian death death. Staggering numbers, disturbing, what do you think? 416 360 or 1-866-740-4740. Maybe you yourself have been a victim of racial profiling and you want to share that story with us so more people can become educated about what may or may not be happening out there. 416 360 toll free 1-866-740-4740. To help us first, further understand the report. Joining us is lawyer and activist Nia Singh from Moat Legal Services. Nia, thanks for being here.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Are you surprised or is this what you expected the report to find?
2: Not surprised at all. Mm -hmm. This is what the community has been living with for decades. And I would say that the report is just the tip of the iceberg. It doesn't capture all the psychological damage that the community goes through on a daily basis. So, you know, at least it's a starting point where we can analyze more concrete data. But this is something we've known for decades and centuries.
1: So it was an analysis of data from the SIU, Ontario Civilian Police Watchdog, by U of T criminologist Scott Wortley, uh, who reviewed two sets of data from 2000 to 2006 and 2013 to 2017. The way I understand it, he didn't really see a big difference between those chunks of time
2: right and it's the same type of mentality that permeates the police force it's the culture of policing that looks at um african canadians and indigenous people unfortunately as less than and it may have to do with the phenomena of in the big city of toronto we have a lot of police officers coming from rural areas where they're not exposed to multiculturalism and diversity so you combine that with the negative stereotypes they're already bringing with them and then you combine that with police culture something that they see on the job every day Mm -hmm. they see low-income communities or African Canadian communities be targeted and treated a certain way, they carry that on their practice as they go on to be officers.
1: Uh, Right. And I mean, is there a fear element as well? So say they are patrolling an area which is a low education area where you're dealing with poverty, where there is gang violence, uh, which oftentimes comes out of these types of neighbourhood. Are they reacting out of fear for their own lives? Like what is the? And we'll talk to Mike McCormick of the Toronto Police Association about this as well. But what's happening here? Is it all pre-stereotyping or or pre-programming? program stereotyping, or is it an on-the-job fear?
2: It's stereotyping and it's maliciousness. I can tell you a story that happened two weeks ago, where about seven to eight officers attended an address looking for someone who didn't live there. They didn't identify themselves as police. They covered the the peak hole so the person couldn't come out, and then they entered the apartment and proceeded to beat that person to the point where they require extensive um, reconstructive eye surgery right now. And the SIU wasn't called. And I I had to make the report to myself, to the SIU. So this is just one example. Police don't need to be in fear to trample on the rights Mm -hmm. of civilians. And I I can tell you, if the the African-Canadian community would speak out even more, you would hear way more stories. And these rates and numbers would be higher than we're seeing right now. So, no, it has nothing to do with force. They have guns. They have badges. They're trained. They're well-paid. They have backup officers. They have so many um, resources to them. They have a billion-dollar budget. That's to me, to protect them. So, and it's, why is it happening only with one community? It's not happening in other segments of the population. It's specifically happening against African Canadian.
1: Nia, um, and and I want to be fair, and I want to be balanced here, and I want to project what actually is reality. The way you're painting the picture, it would seem that this is a pervasive mentality among Toronto police officers. Is it a few bad apples? Is it a, like, what percentage of Toronto police are like this? Because they've got—I mean, there are some great officers out there.
2: I've met a lot of great officers, and I have high respect for Toronto police and Toronto police officers. But I can't ignore the fact that they are plagued with a cultural um, way of being. And there are a lot of officers who aren't so commendable, and they do violate people's rights. Me, myself, I've had my rights violated multiple times. Over 30 times I've been stopped without cause. But um, I've never experienced physical violence, but maybe that's because I'm able to reason myself out of a situation.
1: And you have dark-colored skin? Is that...
2: I I do have dark-colored skin.
1: Right. And so you say 30 times you've been stopped.
2: Yeah, at least 30 times. Um, I have 11 cards to prove it, which is documentation of these interactions that are non-criminal. Mm-hmm. I'm labeled in them as not police friendly, rude to police when I simply ask questions such as, why are you stopping me? Right. And, you know, this is not right. And then I'm, I'm viewed as a threat to police just because I'm asking a question. So you can imagine other people in other areas of the city or walking down the street who haven't been in these interactions. And they may respond negatively in the sense that, why are you bothering me? Is you leave me alone. And then it escalates from there.
1: And a lot of times um and Desmond Cole has written about this as well in Toronto Life uh, the article you can google it it's quite disturbing um he he has had similar experiences and not in high crime neighborhoods either I mean not that that is an excuse because that's part of the problem as well but just uh, as just being in a pub or just walking down the street with a white girl uh and being questioned I mean that is just it's it's disgusting really
2: yeah, and that's the point we're trying to make as a community. I think this report's starting to make it. It doesn't matter where you are, your level of education, whether they have a criminal record or not. Um, it's the preconceived notions and just the ability to treat someone as less than is what's happening. And what we know is the African-Canadian community may not be financially well-off as other communities, so they don't have access to justice and lawyers as, as much as other communities do, and they're less likely to speak out in objection to what's been done to them because they're used to the treatment. It's become normalized and conditioned response. So you combine all those factors, and we have a way less number and way less accounts of what's actually happening on the ground. And I don't want to seem defeatist, and I don't want to seem like everything's all bad, but this is the reality. And if people don't speak out against this behavior, um, the, the community continues to suffer. Um, youth have so many stories they can tell you, and it's, it's really disheartening. Uh,
1: joining us now is Mike McCormick, the president of the Toronto Police Association. Hi, Mike. Is Mike there? Can we lock him in? We're trying to lock yeah. him in. Okay, Mike, what I'm is your... I'm here, I'm uh, here. Tell us your reaction to the report. Yeah,
3: I'm not, I'm not surprised at the, the report. Uh, so, you, you know, I don't agree uh, with the methodology around the report. I don't agree with their interpretation of the data. It appears to be to be an interim uh, report, uh, as they're saying, making recommendations without, you know, having a full uh, exploration uh, or robust uh, exploration of what's the context. So I I have some issues with the report. uh, And, uh, yeah, that's where I stand.
1: But certainly you can't discount uh, some of the accounts that Nia Singh is uh, picked, is portraying for us today. I mean, he has a client who says that, that a group of police officers came to his door, took him out, uh, ended up beating him up effectively. I mean, how does... This is all alleged, of course.
3: Uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I can, we can sit here all day and go over all these allegations and, and everything else. You know, first of all, we are a, a large organization that is just like any other group of people. So I'm not putting forward a position that racism doesn't exist or that bias and, and so on. And then we're going to have some people that have some values that we don't agree with. And, and it's, it's like any other organization. Is there, and I'm not about to dismiss people's lived experience yes. uh, and what that is and, and working. Look, I've spent most of my career in Regent Park, working in Regent Park, working with the community, uh, have a high profile as a community-based police officer, and I know the value of relationships and, and, and fairness and, and being objective, and that's what we're looking at. You know, is it always like that? No, and I'm not going to put that premise forward, but when I look at a report like this that paints police officers and looks at pixels, specific data to support a position that may not be accurate, I have a big problem with that. And I'll give you an example. When they say that, you know, a black male is six times more likely in their own report to be sexually assaulted by a Toronto police officer, I'm very concerned about that when I read that. I go, oh my God, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. But when we look at it, what it means is that during, so these are, and they use the SIU data, Again, that has no reference to race on it. They make their own interpretation about race and who's what, uh, what ethnicity, ethnicity. And then they say, okay, uh, black male, six times more likely to be sexually assaulted by a police officer. But when we drill down, what does that mean? So what it really means is that an allegation of sexual assault during a search or a PAT search or something like that. But I can tell you, we have never, ever, and these are investigated thoroughly by an outside agency, we have never had an officer charged with sexual assault in relation to that uh, those issues. We have never had an officer not only charged or convicted or brought before the courts on sexual assault, but when you read that, it's a very alarming thing to read, and it seems very objectionable, but where's the context? So when I see this type of sensationalism, and that being somebody who's worked in the communities, works with our communities uh, currently, I find that this type of narrative puts up... Uh, a, a position that is more obstructionist than helping bridge uh, the relationship between the police and the community.
1: I'd like to allow time here for a rebuttal now from our lawyer and activist, Nia Singh. Nia, go ahead.
2: Yeah, Mike, th- these are not um, sensationalists. This is just the pure raw data numbers. And when you talk about people haven't been charged with police officers, haven't been charged with sexual offenses or sexual assault, that's because the SIU clears 97% of all allegations against the police. So that's a problem right. in itself. First of all, I'm what's wondering what methodology... Okay, l-
1: let's let Nia speak. Sorry. Yeah.
2: Sorry, I, I'm sorry about that. Sorry. Yeah, what, what, first, I'll have a few questions as I speak. Is, first of all, what's the methodology that you're proposing? Because the methodology, I don't see any problem with it. Second of all, with a large organization, yes, police have human beings in it. Everyone's human. But police officers are held to a higher standard. Police officers have a gun and a badge and ability to detain people and restrict their liberty. So we can't have them operating at every other civilian level. They have a higher level. And again, with the report, you said that it's interpretation based on race. It's not interpretation. They looked through photos. They did uh, look through notes from the SIU and the officers, and they determined where the people were African Canadian or not, there's only about 10% in the study that they were unable to determine the race. But otherwise than that, they were able to determine concrete.
1: And Mike, uh, clearly this is a report to be given credence and to be taken seriously. It's the Ontario Human Rights Commission.
3: Yeah, I I mean, okay, so let's go back. So when when I hear a statement that, okay, so the SAU clears 97%, so that's not what they should be clearing, that that's a, a problem... To me, I, I'm, I'm concerned about a statement like that, because in policing, uh, in investigations, and as a, a lawyer, you follow the evidence, you go where the evidence, and if there's not evidence to charge, then there shouldn't be charge. So the fact that they clear 97 percent, or they clear over 90 percent, I think that that says something about what the quality of the investigations, and when we talk about allegations. so to say that we should see more people more police officers getting charged because we don't like the outcome of the investigation where the evidence uh, leads so that, that's a big problem um, I think that again when you say well you know it's the Ontario Human Rights uh, report and it shouldn't be uh, I'm not being dismissive again of people's lived experience and working with, in the community and, and their realized experience and I don't think anybody should diminish that but I do uh, take objections to this report and I'm not uh, convinced that it's being done in the best interest of policing and the relationship between policing and the community.
1: Okay, there's been a statement, a joint statement in response to the interim report by the Toronto Police Services Board and the Toronto Police Service. I think it's notable to include that in this segment. It reads, the board and the service acknowledge that no institution or organization, including the Toronto Police, is immune from overt and implicit bias. We've seen examples of other organizations which are by their nature composed of people dealing with the same challenges that we face. Nevertheless, we acknowledge that a unique obligation is required from those of us who are charged with upholding the law and protecting all of our city's people. And while we may be confronting these challenges with resolve today, we are committed to doing even better. So with that in mind, Mike, uh, this obviously would require sensitivity training at, at the very least or, or or following up on some sort of uh, level of recommendations for Officers to make sure they are complying.
3: Yeah, and again, you know, I'm sorry, I have to wrap this up. But yep. you know, when I when I look at that, that's exactly what we do. We have an additional day of uh, we have training, our in in service training modules to look at that. Uh, having the additional training to look at that and improve the relationship. I've seen like a dramatic uh, change in the relationship between. Uh, policing in the community but one of the things that I was uh, and again one of the biggest proponents of is community based policing how important that is to break down the walls between the police and the community and actually have them embedded together working together on both sides to break down the stereotypes on both sides about policing and about how police feel about the community and the value of that so I am the biggest proponent of this will always be a work in progress and I agree we should we've got to continually work on this relationship and do better. Are we going to have issues where we're going to have, uh, you know, these type of, of, of things or cases where people are going to do the wrong thing? We're always going to have that, and we need to deal with that. And we need to deal with that on an individual, individual basis. But, you know, I don't think that there's a way to screen out every single person that's going to have bias or whatever, and we're going to have to try to deal with that in through training, whatever. But to say that we can be Because of our uh, vocation to be police officers, that we can eliminate that. Uh, That should be the goal, but that should be a work in progress.
1: Mike, thank you. I know you do have to go, so thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Take care. And Nia, if you don't mind sticking around here, we'll go to the phone. Zoomer radio listeners want to weigh in on this uh, report as well. Let's go to William in Toronto. Hi, William.
4: Hi, Jane. Uh, Maybe you can help, perhaps you can help me out with with putting my point across. uh i think uh i feel that uh, the police uh uh has to, the department has to serve police services have to be restructured and i say uh that because of uh an article written by uh a senior c b c parliamentary reporter in twenty sixteen Uh, entitled unregulated field of private police need greater oversight report warns and uh, this report went through before the public safety public safety canada uh, for its concerns and uh, the number of licensed private uh, security personnel uh, has grown by 40 percent in five years and this is the problem because these people cooperate with, with with police and they are Some are licensed, some are not licensed, but the training is not up to par in any way.
1: Okay, well, thank you for that. I do want to get some other listeners on here, so thank you for calling. Tony in Fort Erie, go ahead. You're on next. Hi, how are you? Fine, thanks.
5: Good. Okay, uh, yeah, I was watching the news this morning. It gets me really upset. Like, I'm in Niagara, right? Uh, Fort Erie? Mm -hmm. Uh, I was raised in Toronto. I still have business in Toronto, so I go there once, twice, three times a week. I start off in Fort Erie, I hit Brampton, I hit Calden, then I go to Jane and Finch area, then I hit uh, Woodbridge, York Region. I've been, I've been stopped three, four times this year, and it's because they're doing their job. They're, they're punching in my plate number. It's probably because of my last name. I'm an Italian, tie-in, right? And, hey, guys, what's going on? Can I see your license? Can I see your insurance? I mean, they're just doing their job. So what am I supposed to do now? Every time they stop me, hey, man, discrimination. I'm going to go to the cop shop now.
1: You know what I mean? You're, you're suggesting you're pulled over because you have an Italian last name?
5: Uh, yeah, maybe something else, too. I'm not sure. Okay. I've asked them. I said, is there something that you guys are looking for? Right. Uh, and they're saying, well, we can't really uh, talk about it. Uh, I think it's something to do with, uh, I had a little bit of problems with the Trudeau regime there, and I spoke out, and I think that uh, they came to my door many, many times. Okay, well, that could now, have something, something to do, do with, with it. But what I'm saying to you is this. Like, they're doing their job. It's that simple. Okay. I went to Bathurst Heights Secondary School. All my buddies were from the jungle. You know what I mean? Like I know exactly what's going on. Well, that's on a here. very hey, racist oh, yeah. and
1: dated term, but uh, oh, yeah. I. But oh. uh, Tony, I take your point. I'm moving along. Diane, go ahead. Diane, no? Diane yeah. in Toronto, go ahead. Yes,
6: yes. Uh, regarding the report, uh, I've only seen on the news uh, about the report. I haven't read the report, but from what I've seen, uh, Jane, I, I think we really need some more detailed uh, data on this. Uh, what I would like to see is, you know. Um, the data by population, by race, uh, by the number of crimes, by uh, the number of incidents where guns were involved, that would satisfy me in terms of how this is all coming together.
1: Okay, Diane, thank you. And Sandra in Toronto, before we wrap up this segment, you're, you're the final comment here. Who is that, me?
6: Yes. Okay, thanks for taking my call. Real quickly, regarding the report, I I wouldn't have believed it if I didn't have any personal experience about what had happened. Uh, And I just want to tie this into the missing and murdered Indigenous women also. I mean, nothing happens in a vacuum. Uh, There have been so many stories and uh, documentation of uh, RCMP and uh, police uh, taking advantage of indigenous women, and they find them coming up dead. And of course, these are allegations. Mm-hmm. But just getting to my personal experience, my son actually experienced this. He w- he was stopped without cause. Uh, he wore he wears he used to wear his hair with a long uh, braid, and he was very proud of it. He pulled into a gas station to fill up his vehicle, and uh, t- a police car followed him, pulled him out of his own vehicle, slammed him against his back uh, trunk, and took out his wallet and started going through his documents. And they were saying, okay, where did you steal this from? And it was a student ID from a post-secondary institution. And my son at that time had short hair, and he was saying, what are you talking about? That's my ID. And they slammed him and they punched him. And it was just horrendous. My heart just broke when he when he told me the story. So that report actually uh, touches on some of the incidents that do happen. So for anybody to say it doesn't happen, you know, God forbid, you know, every, nothing happens in a vacuum.
1: Well, and that is a good place to leave the conversation. Sandra, thanks for calling in. Thanks. And I guess, Nia, you, you hear from people like Sandra all the time.
2: Definitely. I hear from them all the time. I see it in the court cases. And it's so prevalent. And the people who think it doesn't exist, it's because it hasn't happened to them. And Tony's saying they're doing their job. Well, it's not their job to stop someone at 10 o'clock in the morning in a McDonald's parking lot when nothing's happening. It's not their job to stop someone when they're going home from volunteering for a political organization and then they decide to pull you over, say, because they find guns and drugs in the area. So, you know, people who are turning a blind eye to this, they're part of the problem. this this report is actually going to open eyes, and the stats are there, the details are there. And actually, the problem is way worse than we're actually seeing, even in this report.
1: I think you're right. I think uh, any kind of report that, that details actual experiences helps us all understand the way it is and how far we still need to go. So thank you so much. Thank you. That was Nia Singh uh, with Moat Legal Services, lawyer and activist. And before that, Mike McCormick, the president of the Toronto Police Association.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.